um, before I start speaking, we're going to light some candles because we are in the season of Advent, which is um, all about building the hype to um, remembering Jesus' birth, um, enabling us to get excited and to um, process and just take the time to adequately be ready. You know, like if you're going to a special occasion, it takes time to like, you know, get prepared, get the food prepared, you know, maybe do your hair, whatever, those things, like it's getting getting that preparation so that you kind of feel like, yep, yeah, we're going to this thing. And I guess Advent is kind of like that. It's a, a season where we get ready to remember and to celebrate the joy that is Jesus. Tonight, we are um, exploring this, this theme of joy. And we're using the lectionary, which means um, the kind of scriptures that we have been preaching the last little while have been given to us um, from the people that organise that, and that there's heaps of people all over all over the world that do those readings at the same time. So as we're learning, as we're meditating on scriptures, there are heaps of whānau around the world in heaps of different places that are also dwelling on those same scriptures, which is pretty special. And tonight we are in Matthew 11. So if you have a Bible with you, you can, you can turn to that. Um, and I'm going to read um, those first 11 verses of Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. He said to them about John, John, you know, did you guys go out to the wilderness to see a reed swayed by the wind? What did you expect to see when you went to the wilderness seeking John? Did you think you would see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, people who wear such fine clothes live in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Over the last few weeks, um, for those of you who have been here, we've been kind of getting a bit familiar with John the Baptist. For whatever reason, in the lectionary this year, he's just really featuring big time. And it's kind of curious, we're approaching this time of um, Jesus' birth, and yet our scriptures have kind of centered around other characters, such as John, and tonight we're reading about Jesus as a grown man. And so I guess what I want to take from that is thinking about this, um, this question of why is it good news that Jesus was born? Why is Jesus a source of joy? And in order to understand that, we're going to understand a little bit more about John the Baptist and a little bit more about um, the prophets and how God has kind of spoken in the past and get, I guess, a bit of a zoom out on, um, on Jesus. And so if you were here two weeks ago, um, you would have heard, uh, it was me speaking then, um, about Zechariah, who was John's father. Zechariah um, had a pretty crazy experience. He and his wife Elizabeth had a crazy experience um, with, with baby John. And um, when baby John was born, 
Zechariah prophesied over him, saying, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him. So John was identified as a prophet from birth, which is like quite a lot to live into, right? Um, A pretty special character, born um, under some pretty crazy circumstances. And then last week, Max spoke about John um, as a grown man out in the wilderness, um, and how he was um, like a messenger, a signpost um, pointing to the way, saying, someone is coming, repent, get ready, the kingdom of heaven is coming near. John said, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is even more powerful than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John um, was identified at birth that he was going to be a prophet, and then he's a grown man, and he's like, yep, I'm a prophet, and um, you know, there's someone coming. God is sending someone after me. Get ready, people. And in tonight's scripture, we hear of Jesus um, reporting back to John, yep, you are that messenger. We read, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus is quoting um, to the crowd that he's hanging out with um, a prophecy about John. So he's saying to them, yep, that John, he he was the messenger. He's the one that um, has gone ahead. And the, the prophecy that he was quoting was from Isaiah some 700 years before. So this is, this is God working on some pretty big scales. And one way I like to imagine this big story of God unfolding is like a track coming down a mountainside. And that God, um, and the way he's been writing this story throughout history, has been given specific messages to different people at different times. And the kind of messages have come down the line of history. There's been this kind of baton pass down, down the line of history. And so there's Isaiah, third, third from the front, saying, there'll be one in, a wil- in the wilderness crying out. And then John comes saying, yep, I'm that one in the wilderness. I'm the messenger. And then Jesus comes saying, yep, I'm the message. I'm the one that they spoke of. But that's not exactly what we see going into, on in tonight's text, Right? So since we last heard of John being out in the wilderness, he's now ended up in prison. And he is kind of, it seems that he's a bit uncertain about what Jesus is doing. It says, John was in prison and he heard about what Jesus was doing and he sent his disciples to ask them, are you the one who is to come or should we be expecting someone else? So it's kind of this interesting moment where it seems like John is maybe getting cold feet or he's, he's, um, yeah, he's got some uncertainties, right? And you can probably understand why a little bit. And we're just going to explore that for a moment. Because John had been out in the wilderness and he, um, he had been prophesying that God um, was coming and for the people to repent. And you can probably understand that he sees the, the oppression that the, the Jewish people were under. They were under Roman occupation. And he would have had some presupposed ideas of what this Messiah looked like. And so he's wound up in prison um, because he gave some marital advice to King Herod about his brother's sister, and it kind of went wrong, and he ended up in prison. And so, the, you know, he's, he's kind of taken out of action. He's just sitting, sitting here, hearing reports of what's going on, and thinking, man, did I get it wrong? He hears reports of Jesus hanging out with the helpless and the lowly, of him moving from town to town preaching, but he's not kicking out the Romans And perhaps Jesus was just a little bit less feisty than what John had envisioned. 
John is surprised by Jesus. His style was possibly a bit more low-key than what John had hoped for. John, um, you know, was this, this man who had standing with God and who had insight. And yeah, I guess I can imagine him sort of being at the peak of his um, kind of career as a prophet and then ending up in jail and feeling like, oh, is this whole thing just going to fall over? And so he sends his guys straight to Jesus to say, hey, is it, is it you? Are you the one? And so what do we see Jesus do? Well, I think, first of all, he kind of affirms John's calling. He says to, his, he says to the disciples of John, go back and, and report to him these things that happen. And then he publicly honors John by saying, yep, he is actually the messenger. So he validates him. Um, he validates John. But he also, um, I think it's interesting the way that Jesus also kind of explains who he is and validates his own standing as the Messiah in this. He says, yeah, I'm the Messiah, even if I don't look like what John was expecting. And I think in spite of um, all that's going on for John, he had the humility to send some people to go and ask and to, to, to say, hey, is this you, Jesus? And I think what I see in that is that even though John had some strong ideas about what was going on, and he clearly had this um, kind of heritage of being called into um, God's plan and being at work. He was this last prophet in the line of many prophets. He was humble enough to approach Jesus and say, um, you know, by his people, is this you? And to be open to being surprised by Jesus. I want you guys to think of someone you know who is like highly predictable. Maybe they always have the same thing for breakfast. Maybe they're just like really good with their bedtime, always like really kind of same, same, same. I think, I think with people who, um, who we come to know and who we know well, it's easy to assume what they're going to be like or what they're going to do. And I know I've been kind of caught out in the past where I have maybe spoken for someone because I presume to know what... Uh, they'd like say you're like at a cafe and someone's gone to the toilet and you're like oh they always order this I'll just get them this and then they come out and they're like oh today I was actually wanting this I was like oh and I think what I take um, from thinking about that is that part of being alive is that your your identity and your personality isn't static there's um there's movement and that's exciting and that's good and that this is what we see going on with Jesus that Jesus didn't meet John's expectations, but that is a source of joy for us because Jesus is alive. He's not static. And I think that John, with all the insight he had about about God, um, he was surprised. And I think we will be surprised too. So we, um, we we can read in the Gospels who Jesus is and we have the Holy Spirit. But I think... What's, it, what's important to underscore in this is that, especially if you've been walking with God for a while, you can presume what God's doing. Um, or, um, yeah, we can maybe like put God in a box a little bit. And I think what I want us to take from this, the first one I want us to take, is that um, there is joy in being surprised by Jesus, and it takes some humility to um, be open to the possibility of being surprised. Like John, it takes some humility... To say, God, is, is this you? Is this, is this you, Jesus? And to be open to that. So that's, that's the first thing I want to say from, from this passage tonight. So, yeah, there's, there's kind of two other key bits that, John, uh, that Jesus says in this passage. 
He addresses John's disciples, um, and then he addresses the crowd. So we're just going to look at each of those two things. So he says to them, uh, they say, you know, are you the one, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' reply is, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now Jesus isn't just picking a random list of things, but he's actually showing how he is fulfilling in his ministry and in his life the prophecies of old. He's saying in this that it's been foretold what his nature will be. It's part of God's story. And so he's connecting his life to what um, Isaiah in particular foretold. And I'm going to read to you guys um, part of chapter 35 um, where Isaiah is prophesying. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, which is this beautiful little purple flower that pops up at springtime, in case you don't know it, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will flow forth in the desert. So he is explaining to John's disciples um, who he is, but he doesn't do so through kind of lengthy debate of proving himself. But he cites the fruit of his ministry. He's like, these are the things that are happening. He says simply what he's been doing, but he also connects it to this bigger story, the bigger story of what God has been doing. Perhaps um, John had been kind of thinking that that Jesus would more kind of um, fulfill this, God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. Maybe that was kind of more what he had in his mind. And Jesus is going more with the, the eyes of the blind will be opened. Um, you know, just this kind of a little bit of a difference in how John's perhaps envisaging what Jesus will be like. Jesus comes and says, um, I've come for the hurt, the hopeless, the marginalized, and all those who are longing for good news. They will receive it. I have come to bring healing and new life. And here Jesus kind of shares his central thesis of what he's come to do, which is restore life where it's been quelled by the powers of darkness, destruction, pain, and death. Now in Isaiah 35, I encourage you guys to, to read that for homework if you like. Isaiah was actually prophesying to some people who were in captivity. He was prophesying to um, the Israelites when they were in captivity with Babylon. And so there's kind of this complicated thing that happens with prophecy where it kind of seems that it's kind of fulfilled in part, but there's actually like another layer and, and there's a lot going on here. So have tried to communicate this. There's a sense to which Isaiah 35 was kind of fulfilled in the sense that the Israelites did return from Babylon. The end of Isaiah um, 35 reads, Enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. So those people did actually come out of captivity in kind of the historical period. Jesus comes saying, I'm coming and bringing healing and fullness now. 
And there is a greater kind of captivity that I am freeing the people from. And this, this is the era that we, we find ourselves in, this now. There is, there is joy now because Jesus has come to earth and Jesus is still here by the Holy Spirit. And he is bringing life, life, life now. But there's also this looking ahead. He's, he's, Jesus' life and ministry, as we read in the Gospels, points to an even bigger fulfillment of all things being restored and redeemed. The new heavens and the new earth. But let's just, let's just focus on the joy for now. Let's just stay now. We're living in this era where Jesus is bringing fullness of life to earth. And this is joyful news. As I've been saying earlier, John was surprised by Jesus' nature. Jesus um, came in fullness to reveal the nature of God, and John was actually surprised at how kind of kind Jesus was. John was surprised by God's kindness in Jesus. We too have the opportunity to be surprised by God's kindness and mercy in Jesus. We see that he was full of mercy towards those who come to him and that he wants to bring healing and life to people. He's full of truth, and that truth isn't a harsh light that comes to condemn, but rather to lavish grace. In John's Gospel, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that is a, that is a hope, that is a joy that we can hold on to tonight. That is the joy we have right now, which is the joy we can take in who Jesus is and in what he is doing in the world right now. His life, his ministry, and his promise of the redemption of things now and into the future gives us hope. It's a joy that can sustain us even when, um, yeah, life is unstable. Joy in who Jesus is. And I think, um, I was wondering about whether I'd share this. I'm just going to share a little story of, um, I guess, as a teenager, a moment where I contended with joy versus the kind of joy happiness thing. Um, So the the time that this kind of struck me most um, acutely was um, I was 14 and was illegally driving. Um, um, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> under the kind of um, suggestion of, of um, a parental guardian of mine. And um, anyway, I hit someone in the car and it smashed the windscreen and I was like, just like really shaken up by this, as was the person that I ran over. Um, and anyway, so I went home. Um, this is giving you the very truncated version of the story. And I was like, what's going to happen? Like, am I going to go to jail? Like, I don't know. I just was like, what, what happens in these situations? Anyway, and I remember um, kind of sort of locking myself up in my room and talking to God. And really, the thing that was going on then was I was like, I'm so unhappy right now. I'm so upset. I'm really worried about this person who was able to like, I, the car wasn't moving very fast, like they were able to kind of walk around, we took them home and things, but it was kind of like, they might not be all good, I might not be all good, what's actually going to happen? Like deeply unhappy moment, but was really thinking like, God is with me and there was a sense to which, yeah, I just was grappling around the sense of having joy in Jesus, even in the midst of a very unhappy moment. And you know, like when you're a teenager, your unhappy moments are kind of even more like, it's never going to be okay again. Um, Slash also sometimes now. Um, You know? But yeah, I just want to share that because I think I was grappling then with the the choice towards joy in Jesus and what is fixed when there's so much of life that's unstable. 
And I think joy is a posture of the heart that we can take. It's a firm ground that we can stand on. And so I think this, um, this scripture that I read before from the end of Isaiah 35 is the hope that we look towards that we will um, sing. We will have an everlasting joy that will crown our heads. That gladness and joy will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's something we live into in part now and is the fullness that God is um, calling us into. And so, yeah, the third point we're going to look at tonight is when Jesus addresses the crowds. So John's disciples have kind of gapped it, and then Jesus addresses the crowds and says this really curious thing about John. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Kind of just seems like one of those cryptic things Jesus would say. It's like, wow, what's happening? And so I, I looked into it, and what the first thing that Jesus is doing is that he's actually giving John some massive props here. He's saying, man, he is so great. There is no one greater that has been born of woman today. And yet, he's also saying that John is going to be just kind of bottom of the pile in the kingdom of heaven. And this is because John stood at the very end of the line, at the very threshold, at the end of all of those prophets, and he was the last... I guess, um, before this new thing started. I kind of, if if we're going with the imagery of the prophets kind of down the mountainside, the path, it kind of gets to John, and then we have Jesus, and then the path takes a new direction. There's a new path, a new way that's created. This commentary I read talked about how John stood at the threshold of a new thing called the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God was God's decisive new initiative, which was begun in Jesus. There'd been this baton passing down the line of God's message all the way to John, and then this new way begins. Jesus came saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what, I guess thinking about, what does this mean for us? I think this means that because of Jesus, we are made even greater than John the Baptist. So the new epoch, the new era of the kingdom has been started in Jesus. And because of that, Jesus is giving out VIP invitations to everybody. Everybody gets invited, and because that invitation comes from Christ, we take on the authority, the dignity, the honor of Jesus. So we are clothed in all of the fullness of that, and that is why we're greater than even John, who was like the last prophet who heard from God, who was really faithful, who went to prison, who did all this gnarly stuff for Jesus and and for God. We're even greater than that because in Christ we have been invited into the kingdom. We, through Jesus, have been invited to join a group of people who are God's people. We get an invitation to live under a nation called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We inherit a spot there because of Christ, because of his pure grace and his desire to have us there with him. We're invited to that place of honor, dignity, and love. We're given new authority and new identity. And this is, this is also cause for joy for us because we have a firm standing place in God that no one can take from us. We have joy because of who Jesus is, but we have joy because of who we are in Jesus. There's no other form of identity, really, that can't be taken from you. You can get a job and then you can get fired. You can, yeah, you can have kids and then they can pass away. Like There's, there's, there's so much, I guess, that... Um, is fragile and that is unstable about life. But the identity that no one can take from us is the invitation we have to an identity in Christ 
That is the, that is the fixed joy that we get to hold on to. Um, this, this little phrase, kia mo, um, in te reo, is one that we talked about a bit when we were at camp recently, which means to take hold of. And tonight, I want to invite you guys to take hold of joy in who Jesus is and in who Jesus invites. I guess I like this idea of an invitation. Like it's kind of like a hand. It's probably handwritten. It's probably got like cute, cutesiness on it. This is this invitation from Jesus to take hold of that, to say, yeah, this is the invitation into your household, into your family, um, into this sure place of standing. And so I would love, love for us to just reflect on those things um, as we worship, remembering with joy who Jesus is and remembering with joy who God invites us to be.